Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. I'm glad you're joining me for a roughly one hour, unscripted, interactive, conversational Bible study between, well, really, a group of misfits transformed by God's amazing grace. I am a Christ follower, husband of one, father of three, and I've been incredibly blessed to pastor the greatest church around. Calvary 316 is located just outside of Athens, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about the church, you can visit our website, which is calvary316.com. I am joined tonight in studio by two of my brothers, uh, Mr. Derek Kennedy and Mr. Nicholas Monty. Guys, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. What's up, what's up, what's up? Hello. How are you guys doing? How's your week? It's so far, good. so good. Yeah. So far, so good. Hurricane we, didn't kill me. So. Do we have any updates on our brother, Neil? And uh, and his wife Lauren, who are expecting it at any moment. Yeah, Everyone lost, thought it was going to happen this weekend. I lost a bet, but I have a bet on today, so I'm have, still on. Uh, oh, so you're still on <laughs> for today? No, nah, mine was for Monday by 5 p.m. And that didn't happen. Nah, any so. updates? Do we have any updates at all? No, well, nothing happening. If Neil's so watching, far. maybe Neil can give us uh, a quick <laughs> update on on his wife Lauren and their uh, and their expected child. Uh, I am also joined in the studio, in addition to Derek and Nick, uh, by the man that needs no introduction, the maestro behind the madness, the producer of this dysfunction, my partner in crime, Mr. Creighton Vaughn. Creighton, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. Thanks for having me. I think I'd like to be known as the maestro with the madness from now on. Yeah, but you're really the maestro of the madness. Like, like you, 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 as the producer, introducing the topic. I mean, like, you're kind of singularly responsible for everything that happens. Right. That's why I'm mad. Like, not like American angry, <laughs> like British crazy. British crazy. Mod, like, man. I've gone mad. You've gone mad. <laughs> Having a panic well, that, attack every time. Little, even though we do this every hide, week. Jekyll well, your hide, recommendation actually. will be taken under consideration by the board. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we, will, we will see. I, I will say that, that Creighton has made a, a bit of a tactical mistake uh, that we will be remedying. Uh, in the future, Creighton is actually, because again, Creighton is the only one that knows, it's unscripted. Uh, I don't know what today's episode is going to be about. Nick and Derek have no idea. The only person that knows what the, the episode will be about is Creighton. Uh, Creighton has, has inadvertently, while vaguely, but has inadvertently kind of tipped his hand a little bit in the titling of the episode because he's kind of given a clue. Uh, we are not going to do that moving forward. For the record, I have a good reason for it. It uh, increases engagement, good titles, whatnot. Yeah, I think uh, the engagement is the fact that the audience doesn't know what we're talking about any more than I do, and so if you if you remove that that mystery, then uh, then what are we doing? Like that's kind of the entire right, premise right, of what we're right, trying right. to accomplish. We'll workshop it. We're, we'll workshop it. No, we'll see what I think I can the do. wait. <laughs> the board just issued a ruling that we will be changing <laughs> that uh, moving forward. If you are new to the Outlaw Radio Show, uh, again, let me just explain. Uh, what we're doing. The show, as noted, is unscripted. Uh, I have no idea what we'll be discussing tonight any more than you, the audience. Nick doesn't know. Derek doesn't know. The only person that knows is Creighton, who will drop the topic here in just a moment. Uh, secondly, the show is designed um, and kind of crafted to be interactive. Uh, we're streaming live on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw, as well as our YouTube channel, uh, easiest way to find it is is outlawradio.live, uh, meaning that if God puts a question on your mind related to the topic, um, a testimonial, a thought, um, please share it. You can do so by just going to the comments, comments section underneath the video. 
type in your, your question, comment, feedback. If it's constructive, Creighton, who is monitoring both pages, um, uh, will interject uh, when appropriate. Uh, you know, in, any anything that you would like to share. And so the show is unscripted, but it's also interactive. And lastly, while it's true that I'll set kind of the tone and the direction of our conversation, it is designed, the Outlaw Radio Show is designed to be conversational, uh, really on topics related to God's Word uh, between a group of brothers that love Jesus and appreciate His grace. Um, as such, both Derek and Nick, as well as Creighton, are, are free to kind of interject uh, any thoughts or questions at any point during the show? Uh, before we get to the topic, I do want to just take a very quick second and um, and just uh, share my heart, my thoughts uh, to those that are in Afghanistan. Um, Afghanistan is on the other side of the world. Um, it is not necessarily in the forefront um, of, of our imaginations, uh, but recently um, what's happening there... Um, is tragic, and it is something that has been pulling on the heartstrings of all of us, um, Christians, Americans alike. Um, we pray for those that are um, kind of trapped behind Taliban lines uh, that are trying to figure out a way to get to the airport uh, so they can flee the country. Uh, we pray for their safety, their safe passage. We pray for um, those, the interpreters, um, that served alongside of our troops, uh, people that we incentivized with a promise um, that if it hit the fan, that they would be removed from the country, uh, knowing the brutality of the Taliban itself. Um, I, I want to pr uh, pray for the Christians. Uh, there are a lot of missionaries uh, that are in Afghanistan um, that were hesitant to leave, that were wanting to stay, whose lives um, are in peril. I actually have a distant family member uh, that fits this category that is still in Afghanistan, um, trying to be a light and a witness. Um, and uh, it's dark. There's some dark days ahead. And so uh, our thoughts and prayers are with um, uh, those that are in a very difficult situation. Um, our thoughts and prayers are with uh, the military, the 5,000 or so troops that we have sent back um, into country uh, to protect that airport to keep it functional and operational. Um, we don't know what their role might look like over the next several days um, or weeks, but we pray for, <clears throat> for their safety. And then, you know, regardless of what your political affiliation is or isn't, uh, the Bible does uh, exhort us to pray for our leaders. Um, that would include <clears throat> uh, President Biden, um, his national security team, the Joint Chiefs, um, Regardless of, of who might be culpable, of who might deserve real blame for this particular situation that we find ourselves in, regardless, these are the same people. They might have gotten us into the mess, but they also um, are the people with the authority uh, to navigate uh, this situation moving forward. And so we do want to just um, pray for God to give them wisdom, um, that there would be uh, a limitation of ego and pride. Um, that we would do what's best for the preservation of human life and, and for our citizens. And so, uh, I, not related to anything that, that we'll be discussing today, but I did want to just start um, by acknowledging what's going on on the other side of the world uh, and just kind of expressing uh, my heart. And I think I reflect the, uh, the fellows here, um, just our thoughts and prayers and where they, where they center. With all that being said, uh, all that out of the way, uh, Creighton, what in the world are we talking about tonight? 
Okay, so first off, uh, update from Neil. There's been no movement. She is exactly where she was on Sunday. Exactly where mm, she was on Sunday. So, so yes. we are still, uh, still counting. Nick doesn't look very good uh, yeah, for I your know. prediction, uh, but that's okay. Uh, Neil, uh, we're praying for your wife and, uh, and for the baby and that the Lord would give the doctor's wisdom as well. So to the topic. Yes. So in Corinthians, Paul says to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And then when he opens Romans, he describes himself as a bondservant of Christ. So the question is, what does it actually mean to be a bondservant? Because everyone's heard the term servant. We all know that that is someone who serves someone. But what is a bondservant? And what does it mean to be one for Christ or to Christ? Uh, that is a, an excellent question. Um, you know, I've, I've always been struck um, by um, the measure of integrity and depth of character that it would take uh, for someone to, to say, hey, um, if you're looking to figure out this Christian experience on, on how to live the Christian life of, of what a life in grace looks like, uh, hey, look at me. <laughs> and uh, as you look at me, just do what I do. Um, imitate me um, as I imitate Christ. Um, I, I will say, Nick uh, and Derek, you guys uh, just being brothers, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd have the audacity to say, "Hey, uh, if you really want to know how to be a husband, just you watch me, and and I and, and you just do what I do, and we're good." <laughs> you know that what it, it's that's, a, that's such a lofty, intimidating idea, isn't it? It is. Yeah, and I think I immediately think of like obviously because I've grown up in the church and know about the Bible and have read the Bible, that like okay, when I think of bond servants. I'm bond to servitude. He, we were bought with a price. Like he died for us. So I am forever indebted to him to continue living and should serve my life for him and choose to, if I choose to accept him, then I'm forever bound and bond to him and serve him. But you serve out of love and out of joy. It's not like a, oh man, I have to do good. It's like, wow, what's this grace like going back to our, you know, two weeks ago, the grace that we're given, and it's like, no, it's a, it's a bond servant. Like, but I'll serve happily. Recogni if that makes kind of sense. No, for sure. Recognizing, um, you know, just within your own Christian experiences. Again, we realize that um, <laughs> um, we're all flawed. You know, and I think, I think to his credit, the Apostle Paul, when he says, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ," wasn't, wasn't claiming. Uh, to be better than he was. I think Paul had a, a, a profound understanding um, of his own limitations, his own frailties. Uh, you, you follow Paul's life in just kind of the sequence. You know, uh, you know he says, you know, I, I'm a sinner. And then he says, you know, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. And he's like, I'm, I'm the worst sinner of, of all, like as he progresses in his walk with the Lord. So Paul had an understanding uh, that he wasn't perfect. And thus the imitate me as I imitate Christ isn't like, hey, uh, this doesn't mean I'm going to fail, but have there been people in your lives uh, that you've looked to just as a as an example of how to of how to how to be a, a man, how to how to be a Christ follower? Anybody specific that comes to mind um, in that regard? Yeah, for sure. Well, you go ahead. I was going to say my father and my grandfather as being a a dad, a husband, growing up with them. And you know that they're that they're not they're not perfect, perfect of right. any way, but yeah. I mean they still so show so many virtues and stuff that you look 
look up to and that you grow and you're like, I hope I can do that. I, or I want to be that kind of man when I grow up. I want to be the provider that they were able to provide for me and two other children and a wife this my whole growing up and never had to worry about anything. What a testimony like that. to that. What about, what about you, Derek? Yeah, Any- for sure. I mean, especially like growing up in the church, there were like at least three distinct men that I can think of both with pasts that like aren't by any means, you know, great or a great upbringing, but who now come to know Christ and then have like completely, you know, have been transformed and been made new and then live their life like that. And so looking at those men, I'm like, yeah, no, that's, there's a lot of different qualities in all of them and things that they do that I'm like, yeah, like they seem like they actually love Christ and they are a light to the world. And so learned a lot from them. When you get to this concept of a bond servant and Creighton, you, you would reference just the beginning of, of Romans, how Paul introduces himself and he does this in, in a lot of his epistles. It's not just unique to the book of Romans, but I, but we'll, because you mentioned it, let, let me just kind of read his introduction and then we'll kind of go from there. Uh, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He says, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ, and then he says, to those who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea of a bondservant. Now, kind of working broadly into the more specifics. You know, it's, it's important to, to realize within its context that, that this term was something that, that Paul's audience, first century Roman Empire, uh, would have been incredibly familiar with. You know, Rome uh, governed the world, dominated the world. And by extension, I, I believe it, it's three-quarters of the Earth's population were in servitude. They were, they were slaves. The majority um, of Paul's audience, in some way, shape, or form, uh, were slaves or, or in servitude. Now, that had a little bit of a different context, a different, uh, you know, a, loaded in a different way than, than kind of how we perceive slavery or, or servitude. Right, it's not American slavery. Not, not American <laughs> slavery, or, or want to take a step back further, the British colonial empire slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, servitude. Paul's saying a bond servant. Now, you got to understand that, that there were a lot of different things within the Roman world um, that, would, that would necessitate you going into the servitude uh, of another individual. Um, generally, you know, if you're conquered, <laughs> you know, there's examples of, um, hey, you're the conquered people. And sometimes, again, Rome, Rome was a little bit more um, civil um, in the way that they dealt with conquered people uh, as the Roman Empire was marching uh, across the world. Um, they were a, a force, a, a very intimidating force. Uh, to the point that if you were a, a nation, an outlying nation, and, and Rome was marching to your doorstep, uh, Rome gave you the option, like, we can, we can do this, um, or you can wave the white flag and we just kind of, you know, dispel with the, the pleasantries and, and move forward into a new context. And, and most 
um, most of the countries that Rome, quote, conquered, surrendered. And once you surrendered, there was, um, and this was kind of the the brilliance of the Roman Empire, um, there was um, an understanding that settled in. Uh, Largely, you were allowed to govern uh, yourself. Uh, You had to pay Roman tax. You were accountable to a, a Roman governor. Uh, there were particular uh, obligations that you were uh, required uh, when, when Ro- Roman soldiers were in your midst. You know, you had to carry their pack. You had to uh, lodge them. Uh, yes, you were in servitude, but you were uh, given a, a measure of, of freedom and, and, and autonomy um, to, to live in, in a normal sense. We see this kind of in, in the gospel narrative. You know, you have a guy like Levi, Matthew, who's a tax collector, who's hated by... Uh, his fellow Hebrew brethren, because he would rip off the people. But, you know, Herod the Great was an Edomite from the region. Um, He ruled Judea. Um, When his son took over, uh, he was so incompetent that it was actually the the Hebrews that petitioned Rome uh, to replace this local leader uh, with a a Roman figurehead. It was at that point, interestingly enough, uh, that kind of the Herodian uh, footprint was limited and moved on and was replaced with a Roman governor, of which Pontius Pilate ended up becoming uh, the most notable. In a lot of sense, in a lot of ways, other dynamics, when you were conquered, if you did put up a fight, you know, your women and children were, would be enslaved, the men would be executed. And so at, at that point, you are, you're, you're enslaved to the Rome, the, the Roman citizens, the Roman uh, aristocracy, the Roman power. So that's one way that you could end up finding yourself as a servant just by force. Like, no decisions. We've been conquered. Now we serve this, this other group of people. Um, within Jewish culture, there's, there was slavery. Um, but it was more uh, driven by economics, um, such as, as a hypothetical. Um, if you owed me a certain amount of money, uh, you had stolen from me, or we had, uh, I had loaned you money you couldn't pay back, we had gone into business, um, and, and, and you squandered your opportunity, you couldn't pay back the interest, etc. If there was economic purposes where you could not pay a debt, uh, then there was um, a mechanism by which you were now um, enslaved to the individual, you along with your family. You are treated humanely, uh, but you had to work off the debt. Uh, a great example of this uh, would be going all the way back in time, back to... Um, Laban and Jacob. I was just about um, to say that. You know, where, yeah. where Jacob ends up, you know, he can't pay the dowry for Rachel's hand in marriage. And so they strike up a deal that he would work. He would be an, a servant. He would be in servitude. He'd work seven years for the right to, uh, to, to take Rachel's hand in marriage. Um, and that would suffice. Now, he got swindled, ended up working 14 years for um, uh, both Rachel and Butterface, but, you know... <laughs> That's another story for another day. So, yeah. so within, within Roman culture, three-quarters of the population are in servitude in some facet. They understand the concept. Um, but, but one of the interesting things that Paul does here is he, he's not using the word for slave. He's using a very particular term, bondservant, that the audience would have understood. Uh, right from the jump, they would have understood what this was. So, again, going back culturally, again, the difference between how slavery has manifested in ancient times versus our perception of slavery. Um, although there are examples of this, interestingly enough, in, in American slavery, where 
you know, not all slaves were treated, were treated poorly. Um, in fact, there were dynamics, going back to, let's say, the economic setup, where, you know, you were serving in the household of, of an individual. Uh, your family became part of their family. You're paying off a debt. But life was good. I mean, it was, it was an occupation, and it gave you housing. It gave you food. There was a roof over your head. Like, life actually was better um, in that, that dynamic than it was otherwise. Mm. And so when that time finally came where you were given a letter of, of release, a letter of freedom, but you didn't want to leave, um, it was at that juncture that you could go to then your master and say, hey, like... Like, I know I'm free. I am free. I owe nothing. I have no obligation. Um, and yet, I love you. And, like, my life is better serving you than it would be doing something else. And so, as, a, as a, an expression of, of my free will and my love for you, um, I don't want to leave. And I want to I wanna remain a servant. Now, there had to be a legal designation. Um so that it, it didn't look like the master was taking advantage um, of those under his care. And that was the individual would have, uh, the master would take the individual to the door and he would be pierced. A, a piercing would be nailed through the ear into the door. Um, and, and so he would bear a physical marking that yes, he was a slave, he was a servant, uh, but he was a servant not by force, not by obligation, not by coercion, but by free will and love, really a reciprocation of the goodness of the master. And, and that classification, that individual, is what Paul is referencing when he invokes this term that he is a, a bond servant. Um, he is not, he's not a servant because he owes a debt. He's not a servant because he has to. He's not a servant because he's been conquered. Um, he, is, he is choosing um, to place himself in the service of someone else out of love, out of freedom, um, because he cares. That's, That's what the Strong's Concordance yes. for a bond slave. It says, ironically, the duolos in the Greek doulos. means bond slave. Yeah, doulos. It said it is used with the highest dignity, namely of believers who willingly live under Christ's authority as his devoted followers. So, kind of makes sense. If Absolutely. he's using it specifically to where the people would know, like, oh, that's what that means. Yes. Now, now take that, like, like, let's carry that forth into what Paul, like he says, Paul, I'm the one right, Paul, and then his title. And again, what's mind-blowing is this is the Apostle Paul. Like, he could be Paul, an apostle. Like, Paul the man. You know, Paul, the guy that wrote a lot of the New Testament. You know, Paul, the guy, the missionary. Paul, the guy that everyone looks up to. No, but, but he, but there's such a humility uh, within the way that Paul saw himself. He says, I, I'm Paul. And then his title, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ. So I am, I am my, my main identity, my title, who I am as a person is that I am a servant, a slave of Jesus, the King, the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, and again, using the word doulos, using bondservant, there's some implications to that because Paul's not saying, um, you know, Jesus did all of these things for me. And it's because of that, that I now feel obligated to be a servant for him for the rest of my life. Because again, a, a doulos was not 
a servant of obligation. So he's not like, Jesus did all this, all this, therefore I'm now obligated to do that. Like he's not a servant by obligation, nor is he like, you know, Jesus, Jesus paid a debt. Like he satisfied a debt on the cross that I could never satisfy. Like that perfect, that perfect price. Um, I had fallen short of the glory of God. He satisfied what I owed on behalf of my sin. Therefore, because he paid this debt for me, I am now for the rest of my life indebted to try to, to try to demonstrate my worth for that sacrifice or, or to try to pay him back for all that he did for me. That's not what he's saying in using this term. He's not saying, you know, Jesus did all of this. He, 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 like I'm, he's not saying I'm indebted to Christ. No, he's, he's saying I'm a bondservant. He's saying, like, I don't have to be. I am choosing to be for no other reason than I've determined two things. I would rather be a servant in the house of Jesus than life on my own. And I make that determination, I've made that decision out of just the abundance of how good he is. Like, I, I love Jesus so much, I can't see any other functional purpose for my life than to give my all back to the one who gave it all for me. Which is a very cool thing. Because, I mean, it really just, it, it hits in the face um, of, of why a lot of people serve. You know, so, so Nick, within, within more legalistic circles, within more legalistic ways in which we look at the Christian experience, it's not always that, that, that people serve Jesus for the right reasons, is it? No. Like, people can serve Jesus for a lot of... Self-glorifying reasons? Well, yeah, so, so like, mean, like, you guys, share a few examples of what comes to your mind of people that may be serving Jesus genuinely, but, but under the wrong motivation. It's like a like works based like oh I'm gonna do all these right things because I should be doing these right things versus like understanding the grace that you are given to live for Him I guess doing all and like you said too just doing works for the self maybe self glorification or Make whatever maybe feel better yeah I mean like I feel good when I go give out sandwiches to the homeless or I feel good when I go help at the homeless center and do all this stuff like because I feel good and like so but, there's a self gratification to it yeah it, it, sure. there's there's a, an aspect to it where it it appeals to pride mm-hmm. yeah for sure but it appeals to pride within the context that, that grace really provides no room for pride. Because again, um, Jesus, Jesus did something for me in spite of me and not because of me. Like I can't ever, I can't ever work that off. I can't, yeah. I can't ever deserve it. And those things are great, but at the end of the day, so what? You know, there are a lot of people that, um, and, and you run across this within church circles where it's like, it might not ever be expressed this way, but it's like, it's service by obligation. It's like, no. yeah, Jesus has done all this for me. This church has been so good to me. Uh, my pastor has been faithful to me and my family. And so, you know, there's a need in the nursery, and I feel kind of obligated that I, that I really just need to do that. Now, that's, a, I think, a genuine sentiment, but it's, it's a wrong motivation. Creighton, you've been around church circles for, for years um, do you have any examples of how this manifests or any thoughts specifically about, I think, the, the faulty motivations behind service? 
Um, a lot of the times that I've seen, especially with um, like youth group and working with youth, a lot of the times the, the faulty motivations are not necessarily like quote unquote wrong. Like if you're going into it for self-glorification, that is face value wrong. Um, or if you're going or if you're going into it because you're like you're trying to earn God's favor, mm-hmm. obviously blatantly wrong motivation. Right. As opposed to people who who are just like just happen to be end up wind up doing it because either um, their friends are doing it, their parents want them to do it. Um, they just it feels like the right thing to do, even though they don't want to do it. Um, I think those motivations, while wrong, I think the motivations behind the motivations, if that's a thing, are not necessarily wrong. Because they're not, they're not trying to gain anything. They're not trying to, to, uh, they're not trying to gain anything. They're not trying to, to make themselves look good. It's just that, like, summer camp's coming up. My best friend is going to be a youth leader. I guess I have to be a youth leader, too, yeah. because I'm now a freshman in high school, and that's what freshmen in high school do. Yeah. So even though that, like, I don't really want to do this, I hate middle schoolers, and I don't like the beach. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm reminded, so, I'm reminded of actually a letter that Jesus wrote that kind of addresses um, what happens when our motivations for being a servant um, get warped to being motivated by anything other than just God's pure goodness. Um, Jesus wrote to the church that was in Ephesus, Uh, This is Revelation chapter 2. He says, um, and this is to be commended. He says, I I know your works, writing to this church. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you can't bear with those who are evil, and that you test those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and and have not become weary. Nevertheless, so so in, in spite of all of that, I have this against you that you have left your first love. And then he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent, do the first works, or I'll come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, you know, I, I think a lot of people um, twist and warp the application of, of, of what's being stated here. Um, you know, what is, what is the first work of our relationship with Jesus? Is it any work that we did or was it the work that he accomplished? Um, when we're told to remember the first work, it's, well, I know your labor, I know your patience, I know, I know all of these things that you're doing. Nevertheless, I do have a problem with you. You're, you've left something, your first love, the, 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 the true motivation behind what Christian service should be of what a doulos' heart beats like. You are doing these great things, but the reason you're doing them is wrong and so I'm going to come in and I'm going to warn you against this. Like you need to get back to what should be the driving factor. You're not trying to earn anything because I've given it to you. And when you're trying to earn it, you're insulting me by it. So the first work was not a work that you did, but a work Jesus accomplished. And so come back to that. Come back to the, the point of grace. Service is a wonderful thing. It should actually be the natural byproduct of someone that truly understands God's mm. grace. But when we start to be motivated for service, by other things. When I'm a slave for Jesus for, for other other reasons than just his goodness and the fact that I, I, I'm going to choose that life than any other, um, you know, I have found that, that, that you can tell when someone, when their service is being motivated by anything other than God's grace. You know what inevitably happens? 
In fact, this is kind of one of those Christianese terms. I'm going to give you guys a chance uh, to try to guess. Because, because you've probably heard this before, where someone uh, is in uh, church ministry, they've been serving, they've been serving faithfully, and then it's like out of nowhere, they hit a wall, and they quit, and they like totally disappear. What, what's the Christianese, what's, and if you're, if, you're, if you're watching, if you're the audience, uh, what's the term that we use? The Christianese term to describe feel, the person. Feel called. Called to something Well, else. that's when someone's oh. been called. <laughs> no, that's after, what initiates after, it. When they leave. Um, if, if you're, okay. If you're. I know what you're. I can't, not I, in your. In a you're season. Out. You're out. Um, if I insult I'm you. I'm out of touch with myself. If I insult no. you, it's called oh. what? A Burn. Okay, this is painful. It, yeah, a burn, it's burned out. Burned, burned out. out. Come on, burned out. Yeah. Uh, I'm spiritually burned, burned out. out right you've heard now. the yeah. phrase, okay? Yeah, okay. okay. Craig, you've yes. heard the phrase. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You, you when, I, when I went to those guys, you're like, I don't know. Like, yeah. burn no, out. I was trying to Christian say that I do know. Burn out. Burn out. <laughs> like you hear this all the time. Hey, man, I'm just getting burned out. Well, what does that mean? Because again, Christian service should never have a burnout. Yep. Yeah. Christian service, if it's being motivated by God's grace, if it's just natural response to His goodness. Yes, you can you can get tired. Yes, you can need a natural break. But like burnout is is articulating like I don't enjoy this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm kind of over it. Which again, like God's grace doesn't lead a person in their service to burnout. Meaning grace is being replaced by by some legalistic mm. mechanism. That makes sense. So that like if I'm serving because I'm trying to earn God's favor, what will God allow to have happen? Mhm. He will allow that to fail. Why? He will allow burnout so that I realize, wait a second, uh, I'm serving for the wrong reason. So how would you address somebody who maybe feels more obligated to do something than to quote unquote called to do something? Bur God will deal with it mm -hmm. because burnout's inevitable. Within Christian service, if your service for Jesus is being motivated by anything other than his grace burnout will eventually happen. Now, sometimes it might take longer, but like, it, let's say, let's say it is by obligation. I feel obligated to do it. Well, the, the moment like obligation only takes a person so far and it'll, and, and it's really kind of dependent upon the person's character. Person with low character bails on obligation very quickly. <laughs> You're right. Okay. Easy example. If someone is married, like a person doesn't get married out of obligation. Uh, someone doesn't get married to pay off a debt. I hope not. <laughs> um, you know, you know, people get married as as the, it's motivated by the free expression of their love for someone else. Um, it is based in in selflessness. It's others focused, um, at least within the way that it should be. So two people get married, and they love each other. Uh, they're not wanting anything in return. There's nothing in response. This is the free expression of one person loving the other and the other person loving the other. And they're in love. They're abiding in this very beautiful thing. Um, there's no obligation. Uh, there's no work to it, really. Um, you know, we call it the honeymoon period. That being said, if at any point a marriage moves beyond that... Um, Let's say it then sent like, like 15 years down the road. You're like, yeah, I'm married to this person. I'm not sure I really love them anymore, but I'm in this marriage because I, you know, well, I'm obligated. Like how long will that marriage last? 
not forever. Not yeah. Mm. Not, not forever. Guys, you guys, got any 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 feedback there? I mean, like, love is something that you have to work at too. Like, oh, for sure. No, you gotta work patient, at it. But love if it's, is kind. But if like, it's if it's obligation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, if you're obligated to, like, it's gonna eventually become something that, like, okay, well, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I felt like I had to, and now I don't want to. And and you know, almost ninety nine percent of the time, when you know a marriage was obligation driven, and had somehow abandoned again that first love, uh, when the kids move out. Hmm. Like a lot of people will stay married out of not oh, necessarily yeah, the sure. obligation to the other person, but out of this obligation to their children to make sure that there's a family structure in place. But the moment there is no, there's no one left, then it's like one person looks to the other and it's like, well, you know, we don't have to do this anymore. Like I'm no longer, I no longer like really feel this sense of obligation. As a matter of fact, I think it's probably fair to you and it's fair to me for us to go two different ways. Burnout. Anything driven by obligation will only last so long, but that's my point. Burnout, I think, is, 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 a, is an incredible tool that God enables in the life of an individual not to run you out of the ministry, but to reset the motivation for your ministry. Hmm. Sometimes you got to stop, you got to take a step back. You know, someone that's, that's, that's ushering, or serving on the worship team, you know, when they reach that point where they're like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm tired of waking up early and coming to church and doing this. It's like, well, wait a second. When you started, like it was the highlight of your week. Like you love doing it and you knew you didn't have to do it. No one was forcing you to do it. Like you wanted, again, grace changes the motivation. I don't have to, I want to. But then if you get to the point where you're like, I no longer want to do this, like, well, what's changed? More often than not, it's now the motivation behind it. Something has gotten, has gotten warped. Yeah, Creighton, you want to you jump in here? Yeah, I was wondering, because um, I feel like I've seen it, it work in the opposite direction. Um, where someone gets themselves into a situation where they're obligated. Like, I've seen, I've seen this happen in church service all the time. It, not necessarily obligation, but it'll just be like, hey, I know that you are going to be here on Sunday mornings. I want you to start serving. And the other person doesn't feel like a calling or a, um, like a true heart for whatever it is that you have them doing on a Sunday morning. They're just doing it because you asked them to do it. And then it evolves into that first love, doing it for God kind of thing. Th- those Do you situ- think that that is in... Well, so those situations, again, and I'll speak very specifically to Calvary 316. Um, I, I try to refrain from asking people to do things for that very reason. Now, mm-hmm. now there are instances where you know someone's personality. Uh, most of the time when I ask somebody to serve in a capacity, um, like... Deal daddy. Oh yeah. He did that with me. I told you, no, (laughs) I told you no at first. And then you were like a couple weeks later, you're like, Hey man, you're on the schedule for worship this this, uh, two weeks from now. I was like, well, all right. Like I didn't really have, I had no obligation. I felt no quote unquote calling. I was just like, I don't know. For some reason I don't want to do it. And I just thought about it a second ago. Like, okay, no, being up there on Sunday and playing like actually brings me joy. Like I do enjoy doing it. 
And I think it's, and I, but I don't think anything of it. Like I literally, I don't think of it as a burden to wake up early and show up there and practice. I don't think practice is a burden and I don't think playing is a burden. I just kind of like do it. And I'm like, you know what? No, like I'm, God has given me a gift and I just wasn't using it because I didn't want to. See, and mo- now and- that I am, I'm like, no, I actually enjoy doing and this. And so again, coming back to like in most <laughs> situations, it's always better when someone comes to you and they're like, Hey pastor, God's been so good to me. Um, I, I need, I need a conduit to just, uh, have that goodness flow through, you know? And it's like, man, that's awesome. Like you have a particular gift you're thinking about and like, well, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm real good with, you know, um, audio video. All right, well, let's get you plugged in in some capacity where you have an interest, you know, that's good. That's always better, like, because you can remove some of the dynamics that we're discussing. That being said, as a pastor, there, there is the situation like someone like you where it's like, <laughs> okay, he needs to be serving. I know deep down he wants to be serving. Um, he's a moron. <laughs> and so I'm his pastor. And yeah, those lights are real hard, dog. I need to help him overcome this thing that's standing in his way. And we won't talk about that particular thing. That's, that's another topic. But um, some people, because of their personality and as a pastor. So, so, Creighton, getting to your point, like those moments are often motivated by, you know, the, Lord's, the Lord revealing to me like, hey, this person needs to be doing this for them. They just, if you're going to wait for them, like they, like they just need the, the kick in the tush. Um, cool, Lord. I, I, I can do that. Um, haven't had that blow up in my face yet. Um, but again, I refrain from asking because a lot of times it's easy. It's easy for someone to be motivated by the wrong thing. Well, their pastor asked them, uh, right. It's hard to say no to your pastor. If he's asking you to do something can confirm, yep. <laughs> <Can't> confirm. <laughs> um, you know, uh, one component. And again, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to keep outlaw radio, you know, around an hour, about an hour. Um, so got to be a little sensitive to the time frame, and, and we don't want to, we don't want to run a topic into the ground. But I do think that this, this idea of being a bond servant, of being a, you know, I, I, I hate the expression, but I've heard people describe this as a love slave. Um, it sounds weird. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds so it does weird, sound. doesn't it? I'm a love slave for Jesus. Like, that is the gayest thing I've ever heard. That's worse than Jesus is my co-pilot. Or Jesus, my is, my <laughs> or is, Jesus is my homeboy. Ugh. Or Jesus take the wheel. Okay, there's a lot. <laughs> we're good. We're diving down. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of places that we could land if we go down that rabbit hole. But you know, the idea of um, servitude. There, there are two big ideas with the gospel. Uh, central ideas to the gospel that I think we as Westerners have a very difficult time reconciling. Because on the surface, um, it, it would be easy to say that they're contradictory. Um, how, how can you say that because of this, this work that Jesus did for me, that frees me from doing anything, how, how like I have been liberated, Right? Grace liberates me from the burden of expectation. It liberates me from reciprocation. It liber- like I am free. I'm free. I've been liberated. So, so okay, I have, I have liberty in Christ. But then, and Paul talks extensively about that in Galatians. 
But then on the flip side to it, you then have the same guy saying, I'm a bond servant of Jesus. I'm the slave. So like on, on one aspect, like my relationship with Jesus is completely based upon freedom, but then it's also based upon servitude. And in this day and age in which Paul's writing this, within the first century culture, again, three quarters of the population are slaves. Uh, they had no problems with the reconciliation of those two ideas. In our culture, we struggle with that um, and it's rooted on a false understanding of liberty. You know, we believe living in America, we had these founding documents that give us um, the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a misconception. Um, within... All, all life. Like, is anyone ever free? No, the answer is no. Like, like we are not free um, of servitude. They would understand this within the first century because n none of them were, were free in, the, in, in that context. But, like, within American society, like, how many people are really free? Now, we like, well, we're free. Are we? And I'm not talking about, like, just the the nonsensical illustrations of like being mandated to take a vaccine or you have to wear a mask or I have to pay taxes. Taxes. <laughs> but like, like are people really free? No, if you get a job, you're basically a bond servant. Okay. Like, okay. Within, <laughs> but like we, we live like the very framework of the way that our society operates is driven by money and greed. Mm -hmm. And there's no escape from that dynamic. Like you can't break free from the reality. You need money. Yeah. What's the, uh, you've made the reference a couple of times. Uh, everybody is a slave to somebody, some 70s. Yeah, Bob Dylan. Bob you know, Dylan. Everybody serves somebody. That's go. it. And, and by extension, something. Um, money. There are so many people in our society, they don't own their money, their money owes, 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 owns them. Um, you know, it is, it is not money that's the root of, of all evil, it's the love of money. There are people that are enslaved to their bank account or their portfolio uh, to, to the point that like, if you have an economic crash, you know, one of the things that coincides with economic crashes, suicides, suicides, mm. because a lot of your self-worth gets tied in your portfolio. Um, uh, my sense of accomplishment and, and how big my accounts look like, like, like you claim to be free, but you're really not like you're, you're a slave to money. That you, that you view to be your savior. Uh, or beyond that, like how many people in our, in our culture are enslaved um, to sex or sexual identity? A vast majority, you know, are, 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 are enslaved to their own passions and desires. Are they free? No, they're not free. They're enslaved to those things. Um, there are people that are enslaved to their Twitter followers or their Instagram followers or how many people uh, like them on Facebook. I mean, we have now like a whole category, like an industry of, of TikTok influencers who their entire self-worth is based in the fact that through this particular internet platform, 
Uh, they're able to influence others to buy things and do things and live a certain way. But they're enslaved to that. Like, the idea that we're free. W- what's different in American society than, like, let's say the first century is we're free to choose who we serve. But we're going to serve someone. In that culture, you weren't exactly free to choose who you served. So when Paul says, I- I'm a bond servant, he's talking to people that were in servitude to others, but they could say, yeah, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I serve you, the man, but I am a servant of Jesus. And within our society, I mean, it's true that there are things that, that we all have to serve, but, but the, the issue is who do we serve preeminently? Yeah, I heard uh, Timothy Keller described uh, the idea of an idol in a book called Counterfeit Gods as anything that takes the supreme role in your life over Jesus. It doesn't mean that there aren't supreme things in your life, but that there is a hierarchy to it. Do I serve my family? Absolutely. Do I serve my wife? Undoubtedly. Do I serve my kids? Yes. Those things function best, though. How? When I'm first and foremost a servant of Jesus, and then my service to them manifest as an expression of my service to Jesus. Um, I, I have to pay a mortgage and I've got to make money to pay bills. There's an aspect. Yeah, I am in servitude to having a certain amount of money in my bank account. Do I serve my money? Or does my money serve me as I'm serving Jesus? You see the hierarchy. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You have to be a light into like, say your job, you have to be the light first that goes into your job. You get your light and you get your flame flame from God. You don't get it from the work. You can become a slave to the work, but like you have to be a light to the world. Like you get everything from him, not like, okay, I'm going to get my flame from everything else around me. So let's, that kind of makes sense. No, absolutely. Let's wrap up the the topic. Um, And Creighton, I I feel like we kind of hit this, in the direction that you were wanting to, unlike last week where we went <laughs> a totally different direction. Um, yeah, that was a good this one. About the, this was the direction you were thinking. Oh yeah. Nail on the head. Okay. Fantastic. Then let's, let's, let's wrap things up with a bit of application application for us as, as, as men, as Christ followers uh, for you that might be watching for those that are listening on our podcast, the idea of being a bond servant of Jesus Christ um, again, I, I'm a servant of Jesus, not by obligation, not by indebtedness, but by free will. When we adopt that particular mindset, as Paul would do, as our chief identity, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, when we adopt that as our main identity, what type of natural reciprocating, like, like how should that affect the way that we live, the way that we interact on a, on a day-by-day basis? with the world around us. So I'm going to throw it to you guys and and would love your feedback. I think it would be with showing a lot more grace and being more patient and understanding with the people that you're talking to and just kind of approaching everything with tact, but more love. Like you listen more. You're a servant of Jesus first and foremost. Yeah. How does that impact daily life? See what I'm saying? Yeah. Like how does that change? Okay. So, so you guys, uh, of, of the people sitting in this room, I am the only one that is a full-time minister. So I'm a full-time servant. <laughs> like I do bond servanting for a living. So I, I'm in a unique category. 
Mm-hmm. But the three of you guys all have secular jobs. But while you have these jobs, you are first and foremost a serve a bond servant of Jesus Christ. So how does or should that title, that reality, that understanding influence the jobs that you have, the way that we live our life day in and day out? I mean, we should, we should be a, a light to people that we experience throughout our daily lives. I mean, we should be able to, the people that we come around and that we speak to should be like, that person's different. What's different about them? Like, we should be able to be a light. And also, we should be able to talk about it. Like, anytime that we're in conversation about it, bring it up. I mean, I bring up a lot of stuff with people talking. I mean, especially here in the South, everyone goes to church of some kind, it seems like. So when that conversation happens, you talk about Jesus. You talk about how he lives in your life. And if he's changed you in a certain way, you ask about how they're doing in their life. And it goes on like that. Okay, let me, let me here, back up. Here, I've got, I've got okay. a really concrete example of this because just like a month ago i got called out by a guy on youtube that made me feel real bad Uh, (laughs) all right (laughs) need to hear this like i mean i mean so i was there's a there's a part of my job that i hate um and it's something i have to do every couple of months i end up spending a week doing this one job and i hate it um and one day i was just not feeling it and um i was i was just a uh a poor sport for lack of a better term, while is at work. And I happened to watch this guy on YouTube who does like wilderness tool reviews. And uh, he was reviewing this ax that he got from China and it had a wobbly head. And he went on this whole diatribe about how um, for him, everything that he makes, he wants to be 100% good, no matter who it's going to, because every ax that he makes, he's making to send to one of Jesus's kids. He's making it for God. Yes. And I was like, oh, man. Yeah, I should be doing my returns for God, not for the car Bingo. part company that I work for. And I was a real poor sport today. And, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna say, have to work on that. Perfect. He, like, he called me out so hard. I'm a little disappointed because when you said get called out, I was thinking like you specifically by name got called out. Oh yeah. This is more yeah, like that you too, watch but, something but I get it. and the Lord used it to call you out. It spoke oh, to no, you. No, no, it no, spoke no, no. to you. I was I was excited about you somehow getting called out on YouTube for something. <laughs> yeah, not, yet. Called we're not yet. We're, work, yeah. we're working out it. <laughs> Outlawradio.live. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but you're right. And that and I think I think you you nail it. So who was the ultimate servant? Jesus. 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 And we're called to be Christ-like. How was Jesus the ultimate servant? Like, how was Jesus being a servant, how did that influence his life? He did what? He selflessly served served everyone around him. Like, he was other-centered. And so when we talk about, like, like how how was Paul a bond servant? He, He, yes, he was a servant of Jesus, and that manifested and him being a servant to everyone around him. And I think when we're, when we're talking about just the Christ expression, like how does Christ express himself through our lives? It's through our service to others. Because again, what's interesting about service is that you don't care what a servant says. You care about what, what they, they do. do, what a servant does. 
A servant is known not by a lecture he gives or by a thesis he states. A servant is is known by his actions. It's it's how he lives. It's what he does. And so my my encouragement to you guys, the encouragement for myself and for those that that are listening, Paul, a bond servant, what does it mean to be a servant? We all serve someone. Your choice is, do you want to serve the, the world? Do you like the world as a, as a master? Or you want to serve Jesus? Like that, That's really the options. Either Jesus is king, either he's on the throne and you're his servant, or something else, or someone else is on the throne and you're their servant. Everybody serves somebody. Who do you want to serve? And then two, as a servant of Jesus... How does that influence the way that we live, the way that we treat our neighbors, the way that we handle work or a boss or merchandise? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. I get it. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the Outlaw Radio Show. While the show is live streamed every Wednesday night, the audio of tonight's episode will be released on our podcast tomorrow morning, Thursday mornings. If you've yet to subscribe to the podcast, it's hosted on Apple, Google, Spotify. For quick links, easy access, just go to our website, which is outlawradio.org. If you're already a podcast listener, I do invite you to join us for the live show uh, next Wednesday night at 8 p.m. You can watch via our YouTube channel, outlawradio.live, or by visiting facebook.com slash outlaw. Nick, Derek. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Always. It's a pleasure. Good night, world. Good Have night, a good Kelly. Week. See you. Creighton, thank you so much, as always, <laughs> My for pleasure. the topic and also handling all the technology that makes this, makes this possible. Uh, once again, my name is Zach Adams. I hope you join us next this time next week for another episode of the Outlaw Radio.